Welcome to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond podcast. My name is Vignesh Devaraj, an Ayurvedic doctor and holistic health coach. Each week we share wisdom or interview an inspiring personality to guide you become your healthiest self. Remember, your health is your greatest asset. If you are interested in learning how to integrate Ayurveda into your daily life, I'm holding a 90-minute webinar on the 27th of December 2020, which is a Sunday. The topics you will learn will include the mindset of becoming your healthiest self, the concept of dinacharya, which are the tips that guide us for longevity and vitality, and how to integrate these tips into our modern-day lifestyle. Please find the link for this event in the show notes of this episode. In case you are listening to this episode after the 27th of December please check my website vigneshdevraj.com v i g n e s h d e v r a j.com where you can find the details on how to access the video and the audio recordings of this event In this episode I am interviewing Dr Roshni Sangani endocrinologist from Mumbai who specializes in treating diabetes Dr Roshni is an American board certified endocrinologist after returning from US to India in 2016 she founded Asan Health Solutions based out of Mumbai where she and her team help people build healthy lifestyle habits to reverse PCOS obesity type 2 diabetes and hormone imbalance with the least amount of medication her interests are in personal fitness spirituality mindfulness emotional eating patient education and behavior change she's a lifelong learner at heart and lives in mumbai with her husband and two daughters in this podcast with dr roshini we discuss what is diabetes and the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes which is reversible and which is not and what does metformin do to our body and is taking insulin the right approach dr roshini also shares her story of what inspired her to take up her practice with the least medication to her patients and focus more on guiding her patients on healthy lifestyle changes she explains how we could be addicted to sugar and suffer from diabetes due to lack of self love a very eye opening episode with lots of wisdom now we go over to dr roshni Hello Dr. Roshni Sangani thank you so much for being a part of my podcast it's really an honor for me to have an endocrinologist finally because endocrinology is one topic that always fascinated me it's like reading the physical side of your emotions you know the whole idea of our feelings it is coming so i'm super excited to have an endocrinologist finally so thank you so much for being in this podcast thank you i'm glad to be connected through a common friend a common health enthusiast and uh, oh, yes. it's nice here thank you for having me thank you doctor so doctor and i am curious to talk about diabetes and insulin because people think diabetes is just okay i eat too much sugar or something is not right with insulin and many of the patients who come to me they say that oh i am suffering from diabetes it's there in my family and then when i ask them if it's type 1 or type 2 they say it's type 2 but they right. blame it on the genetics so we would like to you know Uh, understand are these myths or reality so coming from the horse's mouth from an endocrinologist i don't think there is a better person to answer these questions so doctor can you explain what is diabetes we have type 1 type 2 what are the difference in a layman's understanding absolutely it's actually a very important question 
people have actually lived with diabetes for 20 or 30 years and still not understood whether they have type 1 or type 2. So mm -hmm. I think it's really important that you raise this question. So yes, the diagnosis of diabetes comes when they find a high sugar in the blood. Yes. And if you rewind back, actually it was high sugar in the urine. It used mm. to be urine. And that's how we never had any needles going into the body and doing diagnostic pathology labs. It was finding out that the urine was sweet and this person was just sort of disappearing in front of them. And that was because all the nutrition, all the energy was disappearing in through the urine in type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So they were wasting away, even though they were eating, they were losing all their energy or their calories or their glucose through the sweet urine. It wasn't getting taken into the cells. Exactly. Okay. That was type 1 diabetes. And the only way these people could survive was by giving them insulin. Their, their life was saved by giving them insulin back. So mm. it was an insulin problem. Mm. The body stopped making insulin and then the sugar went high. Exactly. So they needed to be given insulin as a life-saving treatment. That's type one. Type two also has a high blood sugar, but it is actually the insulin has been working over time, mm. trying to keep the blood sugar normal. It is still producing insulin. The body's pancreas is still producing insulin, often in high amounts, but it just cannot cope up with the lifestyle. Mm, 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 mm. Okay, so type one is not anybody's lifestyle. It mm. can happen in a completely healthy lifestyle. It is sometimes we say viral, sometimes genetic, sometimes we don't know why it happened. Sometimes mm -hmm. pancreatitis mm -hmm. and inflammation of the pancreas can cause, uh, can cause type one diabetes, a destruction of the pancreas. Mm -hmm. Type two, the pancreas is making insulin, but the lifestyle and the genetics are not allowing the blood sugar to stay normal despite the availability of insulin. Mm. So it's a high blood sugar problem, but it's insulin is not effective. So it's actually an insulin problem again. Yes. Both have an insulin problem. One is the body's not making any. The second is it's making lots of insulin and trying to compensate. So you have high insulin and high blood sugar. Mm. This is low insulin and high blood sugar. I see. So only thing that is common in type 1 and type 2 is high blood sugar. Right. And in type 1, the insulin production is completely nil. And in type 2, insulin production is inefficient and overworked. We could call it that way. Yes, it's high. It starts off as high. And over time, if the lifestyle does not change, then eventually someone with type 2 can sort of go into a burnt out phase. Hmm. where even they no longer have insulin being made and then they become dependent on insulin. So when someone with type 2 after 30, 40 years ends up on insulin, we assume that now their pancreas is burnt out. Okay. But there's actually a blood test you can do to make out the difference that are they really now insulin dependent or can this be reversed through lifestyle? Exactly. So now the major question which most of the patients ask, is type 1 reversible? And is type 2 reversible? What is the possibility? Type 1 diabetes as of today is not reversible. Mm -hmm. I pray that a cure can come in mm -hmm. this lifetime for so many people living with it so that future generations can have to say that type 1 was something that humans Happened eradicated. Like smallpox or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as of now, somebody with type 1 diabetes requires insulin to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And uh, it may not be down to zero production, but it might be down to so less that it's just not enough to stay safe and healthy. 
So we would not talk about reversing type one. Okay, so that's it's like that's very clear. Type one is irreversible. Once you get it, insulin is your savior, and you continue with that. Yeah, you know, I think for the largest audience, that's the right thing to say. Now there have been very, very rare cases of things that I don't think we should discuss and mislead the public. Um, you know, they might misunderstand what's the honeymoon period, mm -hmm. and uh, some people have gone very, very low carbohydrate in the early phases of type one. But till date, I have not seen anybody in my practice reverse type one. Mm -hmm. So you can try and reduce the insulin dosage. That's mm -hmm. definitely possible through lifestyle change. Is get to the least amount of insulin possible. Okay. And uh, uh, you know, so type two diabetes can be reversed through lifestyle. And in type one, lifestyle change can definitely keep the insulin dosage to a minimum. And most okay. stable blood sugar management can be possible in type one for sure. Okay. And in type two, let's say they were undetected for a long time and they ended up taking insulin shots. Mm -hmm. Can that get reversed if they are really committed to changing their lifestyle and diet? Right, so the C-peptide blood test is important here. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's very important for somebody who's on insulin to make sure they do the C-peptide test before mm -hmm. they just listen to this podcast and make a decision about their medication. Mm -hmm. Because only with the C-peptide can you tell someone mm -hmm. that they can stop the insulin or not. So okay. if your C-peptide test is high, Hmm. then you can come off the insulin under supervision. And I think I should explain to you what C-peptide is, hmm. is maybe with, with an example of, of a pen. You see this okay. pen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the pen has a cap. Mm -hmm. This is an active pen mm -hmm. ready for use. Mm -hmm. This is inactive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in the body, this is how insulin is secreted. Okay. Okay, when it's ready to be used, the body will activate it. Mm -hmm. And this is the C peptide we're checking for. Okay. So if you're taking insulin mm -hmm. injection, mm -hmm. the inject injectable insulin is, is only this. Okay. It doesn't have this safety mechanism on it. Okay. That's why somebody who's not being given insulin injections, they will not go into a low sugar reaction, except mm -hmm. for like very rare medical condition, which I'm not going to discuss today. But for, for the lay audience, if you are taking injectable insulin, you are taking active insulin. The mm -hmm. minute you put it in, it's active. There is no intelligent cap. Okay. We cannot regulate but, it. No, you cannot regulate it. Once it's in, it's active. Exactly. That's why you might go into a low blood sugar reaction. Mm. But the, the person who's making their own insulin is making it with this intelligent cap called C-peptide. Mm. And if you and I, we don't have diabetes, our body releases this. When insulin is required, it takes the C-peptide off. Mm -hmm. Here you go. And then these things get destroyed out. Yes. And there's a whole safety mechanism. So when someone is taking injectable insulin, mm -hmm. you don't do a blood test for insulin. You do the blood test for the C-peptide. Yes. Okay. We if look for the intelligence. Heart, yes. For the what? We look for the intelligence. We look for the intelligence. And if that uh, molecule is visible to us, it tells us the body is actually making its own insulin. You might be taking insulin from the outside, but if I see C-peptide high, that means even though you are taking insulin, especially if you should, a lot of times you see that even though they're taking insulin, their diabetes is still high. The blood sugars are still high. 
So the body's intelligence is saying, you're giving insulin support from outside, but the sugar is still high. So even I'm going to release my own insulin and do what I can mm. to get these sugar down. So the C-peptide is visible. Okay. It's like so a hybrid model of Lexus. You have uh, electric <laughs> and the f- uh, fuel of the petrol. So whichever is required, you're using that. We can look at it that way. The body has that intelligence to understand. So when the sugar is normal, it's not going to release its own insulin, especially if there's insulin coming from the outside. So you'll have to check the C-peptide. Okay, that's very clear. So once we check the C-peptide, that means we are on a, if it is in a permissible uh, measurement, that means that there is a high possibility I can reverse it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we've seen that. We've seen that in practice, that someone's been taking insulin for years. We do the C-peptide, it's high. We tell them, look, you don't need to be on insulin. Frankly, insulin is the wrong treatment for you. We need to get you off and we need to work on the lifestyle in parallel. Mm-hmm. So start working on the lifestyle under our supervision. We need to kind of be in a long-term relationship with these clients. It's not mm-hmm. a one-off uh, visit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we coach them through the changes and we dial down the insulin dose. And eventually we are able to get them off the insulin when they are committed to make those changes. Changes, yes. That's fantastic. I mean, and doctor, can you explain, you know, most of the patients when they are diagnosed with uh, HbA1c is above seven or this, and then they think, okay, it's time you take some metformin. So can you explain what does metformin does? Right. So metformin is a mysterious and interesting molecule. It's still considered to be the safest tablet Mm-hmm. for diabetes mm-hmm. and even I would say for insulin resistance. So mm-hmm. even if someone does not have diabetes, now more and more we are using it in cases of like polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay, so if there is a high insulin level, they don't re- they've not yet reached diabetes levels. Okay. Mm-hmm. So some doctors have been using it. There are even people who are curious and are taking it as an anti-cancer or as a longevity molecule because mm-hmm. high insulin is tied to aging and cancer. And high so, insulin is related to aging and cancer. High insulin. Okay. Yes. So I just, I'm just rephrasing it so people get it in yes. their head. Exactly. So we don't need to look only at blood sugars. We really need to look at high insulin. Insulin, like I said in the beginning of our talk, is life-saving for someone with type 1 diabetes. It's a life-saving molecule. Okay. So the discovery of insulin was a, was a breakthrough in science mm. that they could do it as a life-saving treatment. But too much of a good thing is a problem also. So too much insulin can expose you to other health risks, including type 2 diabetes, weight gain, blood pressure, fatty liver, high triglycerides, cardiac risk, internal inflammation in all the organs measured by a C-reactive protein, uh, cancer, and aging. So when you uh, try to use metformin, there are people who are curious who say, I don't have diabetes, but metformin works to reduce the amount of sugar that's pumped out by the liver overnight. And it also works to sensitize the body to insulin. What mm-hmm. does that mean to sensitize? If I'm very sensitive, then whatever you say, it's gonna hurt my feelings, sensitive. It, your words have an effect on me. So insulin sensitization means, let me make the body more receptive and sensitive to insulin action. Mm-hmm. Obviously that means that I need less amount of insulin to do the job. Okay. So metformin helps you to reduce the insulin requirement. So when you say sensitize, does it also mean something like it makes the body numb? Just correct me if I'm wrong. Is it like no, it does not or, make the body numb. Or it just takes it in the right perspective. 
Yeah, it take, metformin helps the body take the insulin in a better perspective. Mm-hmm. What makes the body numb to insulin is too much insulin. Okay. Yeah, that's very that's clear, right? If there's too much noise, you know, there's some construction happening at my end. So I'm trying to numb myself to that noise. I'm trying to, a lot of like Diwali crackers, then finally the baby will sleep through that noise or train, loud train station, the baby's sleeping because the baby has become numb to the noise. Oh, that's very clear. So uh, what difference will it make with the blood thinner and the metformin? I hope I'm not going too technical, but uh, this sounds something quite similar because it, it allows the body to accept insulin as it is instead of finding it like something that is going to hurt. Uh, yes. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare it to a blood thinner. No, okay. um, no, I wouldn't compare it to a blood thinner. Metformin, yes, metformin helps insulin to work more effectively at a lesser quantity. So more efficient insulin function, which is good. If you get the same job done with less insulin, that's good. I see. So it just enhances the already existing insulin in you to perform better. Efficiently. So does that mean it is like an intelligence enhancing molecule? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think the body is most intelligent. Yeah, of course. I would always give more intelligence points to the human body. I think that's probably the most intelligent creation there is. And uh, let me answer your question this way. In 2002, there was a trial done Mm -hmm. called the Diabetes Prevention Program, Mm -hmm. where they took people at risk for diabetes. So they already had Mm pre-diabetes, the borderline cases. I I don't like this word borderline because people sometimes feel like they can go back to resting and relaxing and not worrying about keep border. But if it's on the border, you need to throw it outside of your border, not let it creep inside. Yes. Okay. So you need to be more careful and more vigilant. So, Mm -hmm. but they took these people and they divided them into three groups. One group got no treatment whatsoever. Just wait and watch. Mm -hmm. One group was given metformin Mm -hmm. and one group was given lifestyle change. Okay. And they watched which groups did better to prevent or delay diabetes. Mm -hmm. And the group that had lifestyle change Mm -hmm. prevented more cases than metformin. I see. So if you want to talk about intelligence enhancing, when you activate the right lifestyle, the body knows exactly what to do. Scientifically proven in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is considered a premier science journal, Mm -hmm. that lifestyle change did better than metformin in preventing diabetes. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, it's so evident. I think people all know this, but it's just that metformin is such an easy approach than going through the giving up of that sugar or going to work out or getting up early and doing that jogging. So metformin comes easy. And then, you know, as we human, exactly, just pop the pill and then eat what you want. I think right. that's yeah. the myth that, you know, went too much out of control that made India a diabetes capital also. We are. And if it was so easy to just pop a pill, then the, the epidemic should not be where it is in our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we have children, we have children entering type two diabetes in India, in our country. Mm-hmm. And considering that our prime minister, you know, considered children's day to be something to be celebrated. And now we celebrate children's day with sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 
it's sad because uh, kids are getting type 2 diabetes, not type 1 juvenile pediatric diabetes. They are getting lifestyle-related diabetes. Mm. So we need to really clean up our act and our messaging about lifestyle change. And so for me, I've taken the stand that my interaction with patients will be for better health with less medication. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be the one who's interested to get you off your medication, which will require lifestyle change. Do you want that? I'm not going to encourage pill popping. I'm an allopathic medical doctor. And I should say this for whoever doesn't know the word endocrinology, you know, you actually pronounce the word right. Because even for some people, they don't even know how to read the word or say the word. It's a complicated terminology and people know what a cardiologist is, mm -hmm. but Endocrinologist means that after allopathic MBBS training, three years of MD medicine, and then going ahead to super specialize mm. and uh, teach students and MD medicine candidates after qualifying as an endocrinologist. So we are super specialist in hormones, super specialist in diabetes, super specialist in insulin. So I'm very qualified and educated to write all the latest drugs for diabetes. Mm -hmm. And yet the position I take Sometimes people think she's a wellness guru or a nutrition coach or something, which is fine. Those are great professions. But I think it's important to know that my qualification is hardcore allopathy, but I'm interested to get you off the allopathy wherever we can. I mean, that's such a, you know, there are two sides to that. On one hand, in case of emergency, you have the luxury to use these medications. But at the same time, you don't want to abuse that. That's the beauty of this, you know. Exactly. I think so. And, and you know, allopathy is very good at acute care. Mm -hmm. It's good at repairing fractures. It's good at controlling infections with antibiotics. Where I think we got a bit uh, misled or confused is using pills for chronic lifestyle-related mm -hmm. diseases. You know, those drugs don't cure it and they it work as long as you them on. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, you know, investing so much of your life in learning all these and how these hormones work and what got you into this you know uh, this prescription how to come out of the medications for the patients because majority i mean people say you know there is a myth like allopathic medications means once you get onto it you're hooked or there is no side effect but it's, it's just a myth it need not be that every doctors are like that but what got you out of that and say that no this is not the way i'm going to do i'm going to help patients live their healthiest lifestyle and then maybe if it is really required you give them it's like the some banks they just want to give you as much loans as possible so that you get hooked to their interest rate and they don't right. want you to improve your operational profits you know financial independence exactly. right exactly so yes. uh, what got you into this kind of uh, mindset of being a doctor who wants to improve the lifestyle and then maybe if required, we give you the tablet? I'm curious about that story. Oh, the story. Well, I think we should, sorry, I'll take a bit of a few minutes to explain this, but it no. started in eighth grade, mm -hmm. being fascinated at a bacterial cell mm -hmm. that a one cell organism known as bacteria, mm -hmm. which caused disease in the body mm -hmm. is uh, capable of putting a protective antibiotic resistant capsule around itself so that it doesn't get destroyed by antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute, there are many things taken for granted. That's what's happening to a one cell organism that this bacteria knows it's living somewhere. Mm -hmm. It knows that it's inside a place where it's doing something to the environment and the environment is going to send antibiotics to kill it. Yes. And it then knows how to respond with an antibiotic resistant capsule. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
I was blown by that when I was in eighth grade. And I said, if that's how intelligent the bacteria is, imagine how intelligent the human body is. Exactly. Right. And I said, I want to spend my life pursuing this. I want to study the human body and I want to study the intelligence of the human body. So for me, it was clear when I got into medical college that I'm here to understand the human body. Okay. But somewhere subtly, unknowingly, unconsciously, first MBBS becomes second MBBS and third MBBS. And the training that you are given happens to be purely allopathic, purely prescription-based. And I'm thankful I got trained. I studied very hard and I really do think I have a strong foundation in medicine because of the academic background. But we were not taught as much about prevention of disease, reversal of disease. There was a subject called PSM, preventive and social medicine, which we all used to think it's not glamorous, it's not fancy. And we wanted all that, you know, drama of surgery and all the excitement of curing somebody with like very small interventions, being feeling that sense of I am the doer. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> not realizing that the body is the one doing all the healing and we are just maybe facilitating sometimes. So I think not knowingly, uh, we ended up getting into this prescription track. And that was considered the edge that we had over everybody else is we know how to prescribe medication, you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had all this knowledge bank, that initial wish was still strong that I want to help patients heal, I want to help patients understand their own body. That was why I became a doctor, right? But the training given was different. So because the desire was still there, I went and I became a diabetes educator after being an endocrinologist. I became a personal trainer to understand exercise. I learned meditation for my own happiness because I had no understanding of how to find happiness. With all the background and degree and training and qualifications, I still didn't know how to find happiness. Mm -hmm. So I was taught inner happiness. I learned a lot of meditation techniques. I started teaching those whenever I could. I'm not a counselor. Mm -hmm. But uh, but somewhere human pain and human emotion is matching on both sides. So you mm -hmm. can understand another person's negative emotions. So I think it became my philosophy of life. And when you're in that space, the universe also starts sending you messages. And it so happened that a patient came along who said, I have uncontrolled diabetes. And he was referred to me and very high diabetes. And he did not want to get onto insulin. And I said, well, I am a diabetes educator. Let me now, if he's refusing my allopathic, you know, final bullet, which is insulin, let me step into all my other roles, which I have and see what else to do with this human being. And that's how lifestyle change clicked into place with him. Mm. And we really were able to get his medications down. We avoided insulin. And so he helped me put into practice what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then I got introduced to more low carbohydrate techniques, got introduced to intermittent fasting. And so got more and more exposure to really this beautiful space of helping people be on less medicine. And personally, I don't like taking medicine. Exactly. I mean, what's the difference between a doctor and a patient? We all have 10 fingers and 10 toes. So if mm -hmm. I don't like taking medicine, why am I assuming that they like to take medicine? It's a very basic uh, temptation is how do I get off my medication? Mm -hmm. so, and that happened with me in my own hypothyroidism that I was taking thyroid medication. I have autoimmune uh, thyroid disease and my TPO antibody. So my body's immune system is still trained and armed and ready to attack and destroy my thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. And I took thyroid medication for about six years 
and finally got off of it. And I haven't taken it in about seven years now. I've been off my thyroid medication. Although my blood reports, the antibody says I should take it. My mm -hmm. TSH, my thyroid report is fine. Okay. So I'm happy without the medication. I'm healthy without the medication. So why not try and offer that to the patients? That's how it sort of happened. Wow. There's always a saying, when somebody goes through a health issues, the healer is born in them. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and I exactly. can so relate to what you're saying. You know, uh, when you learn to be a doctor, you, you know, everybody rewards a firefighter, but not the mm -hmm. person who prevents the fire beforehand where it could go wrong. You know, he's just mm -hmm. a silent person. Who, nobody reads about that person. But if there's right. a fire, exactly. then the firefighter came, comes and puts the water and calms it down. He's put on the newspaper and he saved the life and he gets President's Award and things like that. I think right. that's, that's where the whole concept of allopathic heroes came up. There you go. Yeah, the preventive side was not glamorous and not exactly. fancy. And here I am now, with all respect to preventive medicine, uh, exactly. that, that's and where I want to be. <laughs> that's, and also, uh, it's also true, many doctors, you know, we... Uh, are not really taught about nutrition as much as how it can actually change a person's life. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So, so, doctor, when we talk about uh, somebody who is taking metformin for a long time, I'm sure, you know, people who are listening and if they're taking metformin or insulin for a long time, they would think that I wish I met a doctor like you so they could get off with that. And they're saying, why didn't my doctor tell this to me before? Maybe I'm, I was ready to change this, but I was just prescribed mm -hmm. and told me just maybe just cut down on your sugar, like it's, uh, just do your hand wash, you know, something like that. But unless yeah. we tell it with so much of importance, like your life depends on it, you know, yes. that, that seriousness and importance is what is missing when doctors say life shall change. You know, when you just pass it on, like just another random announcement in a railway station, it just right. doesn't reach out to them. So how right. do you express to them how your lifestyle is going to change what is the technique that you use because many people would come and say oh no sugar my god i would rather change the doctor that's the kind of mentality some people have oh yeah and i say the same is maybe you should change the doctor <laughs> i exactly say that because you know and and you're right a lot of times the physician will write the words diet exercise on the prescription and then third point starts with the list of medications and for me, I don't want to do just a quick lip service to the word diet exercise. For me, that's everything. I want to spend all the time there so that the rest of the prescription can be left minimal. Mm -hmm. You know, let most of the space on the prescription letterhead be what are we going to do with lifestyle change so that we shrink the prescription size. And I have had to really grow up into this role where I actually have now started refusing to see patients who only uh, remember to see us when the reports go bad. Mm, 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 mm. I want to see you. If you're in trouble, I want to see you. I want to work with you, but not only when you're in trouble mm. and then we forget about each other the next day. Okay. It's like a kid fails in a subject and goes running to school and attends one lecture and then goes home and bunks the rest of the semester. That's not how you do well in any subject. So I have to convert myself to role of teacher which is I'm here to teach you a subject. I'm not here to write a prescription drug to correspond to a bad blood report. Mm -hmm. I will not play that role anymore. To me, that has now become corruption. Mm. That is corruption to me. 
and i'm okay that others are fine with it there is always a right fit for everybody for me ethically personally for myself i have no comments to make about anybody else's practice right now i feel corrupt if all i do is give you medication mm 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 so i won't do it maybe i did it before but i've grown up my eyes are open now and i will only work at the level of 3 to 6 months if somebody comes with uncontrolled diabetes i will expose them to how we do it for 1 hour Mm-hmm. that one hour lecture is kind of like what we're talking to you today mm-hmm. is what is insulin what is diabetes what is reversibility how do you know if yours can be reversed what are the lifestyle changes you can do what are the basic starting points to talk about reversing diabetes and then you can take a think at home do you want to work with me or not it's yeah. like i'm giving you my marriage proposal please have a think let's not get married at, without knowing each other but this is not a casual affair where we meet once in a while and you also meet multiple doctors for the same condition with not any commitment anywhere i am not going to play that casual relationship mm-hmm. for me it's going to be serious i'm 100% if you are 100% let's do it together it takes a minimum of 3 to 6 months to change habits it takes exactly. one second to switch a pill exactly you know and so i think that's the best way that i can be authentic to the importance is i'm willing to uh maybe hurt you in the short term with your feelings being offended that why is roshni not seeing me i'm willing to take that risk if that's the worst thing that happens is that for 30 minutes you're upset with roshni that if in diabetes journey of yours the worst thing that happens is you were upset with me for 30 minutes that i did not do this one off appointment mm-hmm. and then you worked on reversal i'm mm-hmm. willing to take that on me Mm-hmm. you know yeah. uh, because i would rather that that's the worst thing that happens to somebody when it comes to diabetes because mm-hmm. diabetes can be horrible it's a killer it takes lives mm-hmm. and i want to keep you away from that so you know i think uh, it's 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 as best a message that i can give is to be very authentic to the work itself well, that's fantastic i mean what you say i was remembering there was a philosophy in one ancient kingdom where the king made a rule doctors will be paid only if the people in his kingdom are healthy right that's it so, so which means they have to go and visit him and to keep making sure that he is not falling sick the moment he falls sick the doctor will not be paid <laughs> exactly so, preventive medicine exactly so the doctor is always thinking so he works with the government and the, all the other people to make sure where are the all the bad things coming where could things go wrong so yes. when when a doctor is a great beneficiary when people are falling sick that really puts a possibility of lot of corruption creeping in you know it does it does and you know we didn't enter medical training for that mm. we were 18 and by the time we were 19 we were exposed to the textbooks of pharmacology and mm-hmm. we were hungry minds believing that these medicines will help us help our patients so we took it all mm-hmm. oh, and uh, with with no negative intent at all mm-hmm. um, but the system is geared for certain kind of profit whether it's the pharma industry whether it is the processed food industry whether it is sitting at late night watching tv and ruining your sleep so you can't exercise the next day that industry there are so many industries that are uh in in cooperation to keep people stuck in these automatic default habits exactly. it seems normal to scroll your mobile phone late at night it seems normal to feel requiring a cell phone as a piece of body equipment it's required it's exactly. become normal to think like this 
one of my friend who is working in Google, he said that uh, we have 78 organs in our body and now we have a 79th organ called the mobile phone. <laughs> exactly right, doctor. And so I think that the doctor who is interested in preventive health mm -hmm. has many industries profiting on the other side. Mm -hmm. So we are up against a lot. So people will ask me, but if I don't watch TV, I'll get bored. Mm -hmm. I'm not a boredom doctor. Okay, I'm not here to cure you of boredom. Mm. So let's find something else to do because boredom resulting in three hours of late night TV or mobile consumption is ruining your sleep. That's ruining your hormones. It's ruining your 24 hour body clock. It's ruining your immunity, your insulin, your body's repair and poor sleep is connected to cancer. Exactly. Okay. But you don't feel that when you're consuming content for three hours every night. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that time, it's like the frog on that boiling water. You know, you just feel everything is there. And one fine day, you're diagnosed and there's no way going yeah. back. And, you know, I had a patient. Uh, he always used to say that, okay, I'm taking these medications and my blood sugar was right, uh, very fine. And he was a quite affluent person. And one day he had an income tax rate. Oh. immediately the sugar levels went over 400. Yes. So then I was like, wow, finally, do you understand how stress can impact on your hormones? It's not just sugar. It's also your lifestyle and how you deal with stress. Absolutely. And then people... Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure how you handle with the stress also because sleep is such an important factor to deal with your stress. When your sleep is compromised, your life is compromised. It's like taking a euthanasia. You know, When you explain this to them, Okay, so it's not just my sugar. Oh, I'm not taking sugar at all, but I still yeah. don't know why this is not changing. But they don't, they go to sleep at one o'clock in the morning and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for your hormones. Exactly. So doctor, when, when somebody enrolls for your program and what are the non-negotiable aspects that you input on them? And it comes to especially with food. Because we Indians, you know, we love sugar. Sugar yeah. is like anything. And you go to a... You know, you have to openly express and say, okay, I want a coffee without sugar. And then suddenly everyone looks at you, oh, are you already diabetic? You look young. That's the kind of uh, thing, you know, it's just that I want to be safe. But people yeah. ask you, like, oh, you need to do that only when you get old or when you fall sick. But they don't understand you need to do it proactively. So Correct. how do you handle, uh, what are the non-negotiables that you input in, in your, uh, you know, consultation with your patients? So first of all, nothing is non-negotiable. I am not their police. Mm -hmm. I am not their um, like judge. Mm -hmm. I'm their coach. Mm -hmm. So does a coach tell Virat Kohli that it's non-negotiable? You can never go for zero runs. No, that's it's too, it's too rigid. Okay, so it's not for me to put these rules and regulations on human beings. I don't think that. The person who has entered into a working program with us is purposely suicidal mm -hmm. or is purposely self-destructing and self-harming. They have certain habits. Mm -hmm. On day one, when I meet them, they already have certain habits. Mm -hmm. Who am I to show up like this? Your habits are now non-negotiable. Mm. If they had that much of ability, they would have let go of the habits. Long time and ago. I already, what's that? Long time ago, they could have. Done that. Long time ago, they don't need me to tell them these common sense things. It's not, sometimes it's hard to implement what they already might be knowing. Mm -hmm. 
my role is not to give them a list of do's and don'ts here's what you will do here's what you will not do because i make this joke dr vignesh is if all that's required is the patient has to do what i say hmm. then i should be paying the patient hmm 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 the patient is paying me for coaching and consultancy hmm advisory expertise we have to help them find the solution for their current habits and current situation hmm so so the style of talking is different in the sense we don't have that kind of list of here's what you will or will not do oh but i have to have sugar okay let's talk about that mm-hmm. why is it that you feel you need sugar mm-hmm. as long as you keep taking sugar your insulin level will be secreted you your body has to respond with insulin mm-hmm. when we're talking about diabetes reversal we are trying to get the insulin level down yes how do you want to balance this out mm-hmm. so it's a technique called motivational interviewing actually mm-hmm. it comes from um, addiction medicine mm-hmm. comes from substance abuse uh, therapy mm-hmm. where the psychiatrists uh, created this tool to help an addict internally figure out why they want to quit mm-hmm. the psychiatrist could have said don't drink but an addict can come out of addiction when they convince themselves that it's time to quit so the time is spent putting this on the table that on one hand you want diabetes reversal and on one hand you feel addicted to sugar how do you want to resolve that yeah it's like you are keeping you one leg on the accelerator one leg on the brake <laughs> both of yes, the <laughs> exactly and sometimes they know that and they are kind of putting it on the back because it's uncomfortable to face that truth mm-hmm. so it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage to look your own conflict in the eye and make a choice to change and what we then do is create a safe environment non-judgmental in the middle of their busy life in their city wherever they are in the middle of all the chaos giving them some haven of support mm. where they go to the office and they still find time to talk to us or they run their homes and their kids and their domestic lives and they still find time to talk to us or they're studying for exams they college kids and they still find time to talk to us and in the middle of all that drama mm-hmm. we are coaching them through this and it's to provide the scientific and medical background and confidence and expertise this is how your insulin levels will come down mm. let's problem solve together let's find solutions together hmm you know and then they start waking up so it's basically what you do is okay there was once you know i was convincing them not convincing uh, i was making them aware how dangerous is sugar to themselves so after that uh, after that consultation they said you should stop calling yourself an ayurvedic doctor and then why would you say that you should call yourself some de addiction specialist exactly exactly <laughs> i think, exactly. I, I think exactly. what we are actually doing is making them aware once you get rid of that need deal with that need yes. the cause you know the real cause exactly exactly and when it comes to food you know you do you tell them about substitutes or you know these are certain things you know that are giving it more i mean i remember in one of your 
interviews you're talking about what are the substitute because when you say no people think oh i'm going to be deprived and that right. deprivation actually puts them on stress which was reason why they took sugar in the first place so you're Correct. actually putting petrol on the fire again so mm-hmm. so how do you deal with that you know the fear of missing out how how do i stop myself from getting de- deprived <laughs> well if you want it take it and you won't be deprived mm-hmm. right so i don't play that game i don't pull on that string i do not do a tug of war with you with sugar if you want the sugar keep it mm-hmm. let's not fight that war of you versus me mm-hmm. okay i'm not going to take away your sugar mm-hmm. you decide your relationship with sugar you decide your relationship with your body mm-hmm. okay so sometimes affirmations will help mm-hmm. i am learning to balance my eating for my pleasure as well as my health wow that's very powerful that's a powerful affirmation because they will say i'm a foodie mm. i'm like please be a foodie i'm also a foodie i love my food but i also love my body exactly so i'm a foodie who loves my body mm-hmm. so i'm learning or i know or i balance my eating for pleasure as well as health mm. right as opposed to what we are culturally exposed to is binge cheat indulge only treating the mind and the pleasures and not the physical body right so when it comes to substitutes and deprivation i'm like well what is it that sugar is giving you that will be gone if you're not having sugar what's that so yeah. if what's that itch <laughs> what's that itch right if instead of smoking you go for a nicotine patch you're still addicted to nicotine mm-hmm. switch but you're still addicted so instead of sugar if you do jaggery or you do honey it's still chemically medically it's still sugar it has the mm-hmm. same effect on insulin you're just thinking it's less processed mm-hmm. than sugar maybe but it's still sugar and you are still addicted to the need for sweet mm-hmm. so what is the need for sweet that has such a grip on you mm-hmm. besides the fact that sugar is chemically more addictive than cocaine so you know if you give rats cocaine they take cocaine and they stop eating food because they they get a lot of pleasure from cocaine and you take cocaine addicted rats and it's a kind of a cruel experiment but you take cocaine addicted rats and you expose them to sugar and they skip the cocaine and they migrate to sugar wow it's proven wow so when someone says i can't resist sugar we like that's correct when you stick your hand in boiling water you get burned congratulations you are a human being when you start taking sugar you're going to get chemically addicted congratulations that's what happens when sugar hits the human brain it's mm-hmm. science the same way you will burn yourself if you put your hand in boiling water so you're not weak but we market it to you that you are weak that the problem is not the sugar or the product or the industry or the marketing or the financial incentives it's you we blame you so that you get stressed more to eat more <laughs> yeah then you'll take antidepressants you'll go do all kinds of things you know you'll just consume instagram you'll drown in alcohol it's it's it you consume many things mm-hmm. then you consume some diabetes tablets also so doctor how to get out of this need the million dollar question <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what you know i think uh, 
self-care and self-love is probably the best way forward. Again, I'm not saying stop sugar. I enjoy my sugar once in a while, right? But I know what it is. Mm -hmm. So I know in, in limit and again, self-care and self-love. And sometimes it'll happen that you'll slip and you'll take more. And I've done a post on this on my Instagram last December for Christmas, because this is the time of the year where everything is, you know, people are talking about it. And uh, I, I did that. And, you know, if you do go over because the addictive tendency happened, okay. If you catch yourself through your body, you'll mm -hmm. come back to the present moment because it's the mind getting disconnected, mindless eating mm -hmm. versus mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So I think body is what brings you back to the present moment and this is where ayurveda and yoga and ancient practices now you have to give it a modern spin so i just read a book called breath written mm -hmm. by an american journalist mm -hmm. and i found out about sudarshan kriya from mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. okay and i studied it from art of living online after reading his book mm -hmm. Because now we have to market and package good things, even if they're ancient Indian or ancient traditional Eastern, mm -hmm. it somehow needs to be marketed back. Mm -hmm. So breath, breath is a way to come back to the body, listening to the way the digestion feels after a sugar binge. Mm -hmm. So rather than telling you, you did something wrong, you are weak, you are mental, you are addicted, get the judgment chatter out, get the harsh self-criticism out, give it the, give the mind some quiet time come back to the body. The body will let you know your digestion, your acidity, your headaches, your bloating. Mm -hmm. Nobody has ever come and told me that I ate lots of sugar and now my body feels good. Not one person. <laughs> Not one person. That's so it's true. Mine. I mean, you know, listening to the 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 you're talking about the research on the rats, you know, like cocaine and uh, food and sugar. They even give up cocaine for sugar. I mean, yes. knowing all these, you know, when I when you read some of the spiritual leaders or religious god, gods, they you know they say that alcohol is banned in some sects, or garlic is banned in certain sects, or right. non-vegetarian is banned in certain sect of people. So I think if we come to really know what sugar can do, I think many religious teachers would say don't take sugar because you know you read that when you consume sugar your willpower actually goes down right yes oh. and the reason why they said don't take alcohol because it makes your feedback system and your willpower completely disoriented correct that's why it's illegal to give kids alcohol exactly and i think uh, mm -hmm. if we know all these data uh, just like we put smoking is injurious to health alcohol can create many problems I think we are not so far from the time when we say that all the sugar-filled food will have, this can create cancer and all these kind of disclaimers. Oh, yes. So the country, Mexico, mm -hmm. is now taxing uh, sugar beverages more. Mm -hmm. They have one state in Mexico has taken the government stand that you cannot sell sugar to underage children. Wow. That's big. In Mexico, you not in a developed country like Germany or United States or Canada. Well, Mexico is dealing with a very big uh, diabetes and obesity epidemic because mm -hmm. um, uh, cola beverages, mm. aerated beverages are rampant. And the intake per capita of uh, aerated beverages in Mexico is so high that they have a terrible pediatric uh, obesity and diabetes epidemic in the whole country. 
So it's affecting their country's lifespan. So the government is realizing that the positive spin that has been put on aerated beverages is creating a lot of preference. Mm. So they've started trying in small ways. It's still a lot left to be done, but it's a very important step that at a government level, the same way you cannot sell nicotine and alcohol and guns to children, you cannot give them sugar unless there's an adult around. Mm. So it needs to be in that category. So you're right, you know, um, and you know the word prasad actually Prasad is generally sweet. When you go to the temple, it's sweet. Oh, yes. But actually, we love going to temple just for that. <laughs> I but I realized from my Vedanta teacher that the word Prasad, actually, I think if you might know it better than me, it means happiness. Mm -hmm. And the joy at the end of a teaching between teacher and student or between connecting with the divine, the, the joy and happiness that you get, that pras it is the word Prasadam. Mm -hmm. And they gave it a symbolic gesture with sugar because back then there it wasn't so possible to go overboard with the amount of sweet and sugar. It was considered a big treat. So the portions were managed, you know. Uh, but now with, like you said, subsidization of costs, sugar is everywhere, sugar is in everything. It brings the cost down. There's a high palatability factor. So sugar is now everywhere. But pr Prasad actually got associated with sweet much later. It mm. wasn't about sugar. It was about happiness from a higher connection a more spiritual connection but when you take sugar it pulls you pretty much down it doesn't raise you up to any higher levels of consciousness exactly well well i wish many diabetes patients could connect with a doctor like you who has a completely holistic and integrative approach i think you know we discussed so many beautiful things that could you know raise a lot of things in people's understanding, you know, we always think, okay, just a pill can solve this, or I have to do exercise more. But there is a huge dynamics that we are completely missing. Where is that need coming from? That need for self-acceptance, and you know, I just need to distract my pain. So let's just look for the easiest one. It could be strolling to the Instagram or getting a sugar stuff. I think uh, treating diabetes is more of you know, another way we can say we, we need to give him more self-love. <laughs> that's, that's another way of looking at it. 100% Dr. Vignesh, I think my practice is built on a foundation of the medicine is self-care and self-love. Per dose, 1000 mg twice a day <laughs> and 500 mg in the middle of the day of self-care and self-love. If it's not still increase the dose more, <laughs> that's how it works. Increase the dose more. <laughs> doctor that was really a fantastic conversation i really enjoyed this and uh, i would put all your details in the show notes of uh, this and uh, i would like to have you back maybe for a few more hormones that i would like to talk about but so far this has been a really eye-opening session and thank you thank so you. much thank you dr vignesh for having me please continue to do the good work thank you, thank you.